Yeah, it's been weird because I don't want to. I just feel weird asking. I mean, I kind of felt weird asking you if you wanted to talk about this, but I don't care. Like a lot of people have been. Well, I guess we could talk about that actually on the show, but um, I have the but, tape running, by the way, so we can start whenever. Oh, sweet. Okay. Well, yeah, let's just talk about it then. Yeah. Okay. From Dirty Spoon Media, you're listening to Home Fried, stories to keep you informed and entertained during the coronavirus lockdown. I'm Jonathan Ammons. That voice you just heard may sound familiar to regular listeners as my co-host and editor-at-large for The Dirty Spoon, Catherine Campbell. You may have noticed that she hasn't been on Home Fried at all, and that she was absent from our season opener of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour. It turns out that Catherine might have COVID-19. As in, urgent care doctors are pretty sure that she does. But she, like many people I'm talking to under the age of 60, can't get a test to make sure. In all of this confusion and the fog of misinformation, it turns out that one of the hardest things to do right now is figure out if you yourself have been infected with the virus. Not only that, scientists are still wrestling with the fact that they are still seeing a slew of false negatives on the test results themselves. As of now, the CDC is saying that if you think you have the virus, you probably do. They suggest that not everyone needs to be tested. Just assume you have it and quarantine yourself at home unless symptoms become urgent. Now that she's starting to come out on the other side of this thing, we thought it might be good to have a conversation with Catherine to see what it's like to battle the coronavirus one-on-one. I, from the very beginning, have had no issues and no reservations talking about my illness because I think we're at such a critical time that sharing my symptoms and sharing my story has helped other people feel less alone and wondering what this looks like. And I think just because, you know, like I come from a medical family, you know, my, sorry. Um, sometimes I have to breathe really awkwardly. Oh no, of course. You have respiratory issues. Yes. That's part of the (laughs) symptoms. If I sound like I've suddenly been doing 30 pushups in a row, that's what it sounds like. Um, but yeah, like, you know, my dad, my dad is a doctor, my mom is a nurse. And I think, you know, if, if I was looking for patterns in this, in a new illness that nobody understands, I would want to hear as many stories as possible. I'd want to figure out, do I fit the pattern or are there things that we don't yet know about this that are happening to people? And the more stories we share, the more patterns we can identify and the more we can hone in on, you know, who is vulnerable because we know it's not old, quote, uh, old people, (laughs) Right. Um, you know, it's everyone, everyone has been affected and, And so just by, you know, saying, uh, I'm going to put this out there. I'm going to talk about my experience after a week of dealing with these symptoms and having to go to urgent care finally for them and sort of operating in denial for a while, um, you know, and my frustration at the medical system and not getting the care that I need has been, it's okay to, I think, come forward and start talking about these things. Yeah. What's the, when did you start, I guess, give us the timeline. When did you start coming down? When did you start realizing you were sick? How did the process of figuring this out go? Um, I refer for the first eight days of it, I referred to it as the mystery illness. Um, so I, one day I was clocking miles on my treadmill and everything was fine. And then the next day I was going for a walk around my neighborhood and I couldn't even finish the walk. I felt like, 
I was going to die. I couldn't breathe. Um, and I just felt like I got hit by a train by, you know, by that evening I was on my couch, I was developing a low grade fever and just felt so tired. And so the first few days I just felt exhausted. Um, and I was running a low grade fever. So I figured, okay, I'm fighting something off. And we're very lucky to be living in an area where, um, we have a huge pollen count with lots of allergies (laughs) And we have a crossover of flu season and, you know, the possibility of pneumonia or walking pneumonia and the, uh, you know, late spring common colds. And so it could have been like 1 million things. Right. Um, and so I wasn't too worried about it, but then the fever didn't go away after four days. And that's typically a sign that of, of something that could be, uh, kind of trying to ground down into your body for a longer period of time. It's, it's really so, hunkering down in you. Yeah. It's, it's about to, it's about to make itself at home. So, so, um, yeah. And then I, and then I noticed too about by day three that my breathing was not, it just wasn't getting it, you know, it lightened up a little bit. So there was like this little weird, weekend of false hope where I thought, oh, maybe it was just allergies. And because we closed all of our windows, we had a clean filter in our house that we changed out because we thought, well, let's try to rule this out. And by, so days three and four, my breathing got a little bit better. And then day five, it just, I woke up and it felt like there was an anvil on my chest. I couldn't breathe. It was just, just this vice that started to squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. And by day seven, well, I, so I called my personal doctor on day five. I guess maybe we should start with that. <laughs> that's when I, that's when I got concerned. So I called my, I called my personal care physician, um, who I will just say is no longer my personal care physician. It was the most horrifying encounter of my life. Um, I've never received such poor care and, and I don't, I feel like, you know, there are a lot of things too that could have been done better. I feel like people are just being human right now and reacting in the only way that they can. And I just feel like my, my doctor didn't react the way that they, they should have. So I, you know, I drive up to my clinic. Um, I have to sit in my car cause it's they, you know, it's a car visit now. Um, they don't allow you to go into the family practice Right. and, um, they come out with, you know, and take your vitals. Um, And while I'm sitting to the side with my car door swung open and, you know, the wind coming through and it's freezing cold, by the way, and I'm sitting out there waiting for like 30 minutes in my car, you know, waiting to be seen. And then, um, and then another 30 minutes for the doctor to come out and take a look at me. Um, and they just didn't, they didn't check some of my vitals correctly. Um, the only way I know this is because I grew up in a medical family. So I'm kind of like, well, that's... (laughs) That's different. Um, and then, you know, and then of course to qualify for a COVID test, it's like a 10 point checklist of things that you have to meet the criteria for. And I, I wasn't meeting that criteria at that time. My fever was too low. I hadn't traveled, um, you know, in, in two weeks. Um, I didn't know anybody personally who had been tested positive for COVID. So it was, I was just not checking enough boxes. So I didn't qualify Mm. for the test, but they, they tested me for, um, they ruled out pneumonia, strep and flu. So, um, my, my doctor just simply concluded that it could have been quote, you know, one of a million things, 
a million viruses going around. I'm like, that's helpful. Thank you. And then proceeded to send me on my way by concluding with a comment about um, how this wouldn't be happening if Asian people uh, had normal diets and was blamed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was absolutely appalled and just, and I felt guilty. Um, and well, I think that if, that's if some... anyone should understand that that's not how this kind of virology works, it should be a doctor, right? You'd think? you think. You would think. I think, you know, that was what was so just, it was, it was such a surreal experience. And, and, you know, the issue too, is the fact that, you know, you're, as someone who's going through symptoms, you're getting conflicting messages all the time. You have one side who is saying, you need to go to the doctor. You need to go be seen. You need to go get the care that you need, or you need to make sure that if you have any symptoms, you should call and get seek medical attention. Well, I had those symptoms. I I couldn't breathe. I had chest, major chest pains that made me feel like I was having a heart attack. And, and I had a fever and, you know, and I was fatigued like to no end. So naturally I had to go seek medical attention, but then on the other side, you have, you have all these other people, professionals who are telling you, don't, don't crowd up the, don't crowd up the clinics. Don't, don't call your doctor unless you have this, unless you have these symptoms. Don't, don't be demanding for tests. Don't, you know, medical supplies are scarce. Don't be, you know, so, so you're, you're racked with this both, both terror and guilt at trying to ask people for help. And you don't know if you're even going to walk out and get it. And so I, I, I drove home and from the clinic and felt, uh, you know, just like, like I had been like, you know, questioning whether or not I had just been an hysterical female, you know, like, was I, was I right to even ask to be seen and to be checked out? And, um, you know, like he, you know, he told me, he's like, go home, take some ibuprofen, which they're telling you not to take. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is the worst thing you could possibly take if you're a COVID patient. Did you do that? I did not. I did not. Yeah. Um, Something in my gut, and I know there's conflicting tests and no conclusive evidence to that, but there was something in my gut that said, you know, you don't want to be taking Tylenol for a fever um, and be lowering your fever because your fever is 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 your body's natural defense system. It's its way of fighting things off. So you want your your fever to run as high as you can comfortably handle it. Um, So I was letting that go. And then as far as the inflammation or whatever was happening in my lungs and what was happening in my chest pain and my breathing, I didn't want to take NSAIDs or, or as people know, know them commonly as ibuprofen, um, because I wasn't sure. So I used some anti, you know, anti-inflammation natural remedies. I would just, you know, use eucalyptus steam showers. I used a, a heating pad or, or a rice sock. If you're, if you don't have a heating pad, you can easily use a, an, you know, a, a tube sock or a, or a large sock and fill it up with some rice, yeah. um, and just tie off one end of it and pop it in the microwave for a minute and 15 seconds. And you can, that thing's nice and warm. You can use it at the same way as a heating pad. It's great. Um, so I was just using that on my chest, which helped to alle- alleviate that a little bit. But then by day seven, it was that it was the worst. That's when I went to urgent care. Yeah. And what happened there? 
So urgent care asks that you do a virtual visit before coming in now. Um, so everybody's being very cautious. They, everybody wants you to do virtual visits, car visits. So there is a strange sense of distance from the people whom you've, whom you've known and who you're most vulnerable with, you know, and it's, it's a really strange position to be in, but I went to, uh, I went to our, our local urgent care, um, and when I say go to, I called them first for a virtual visit. And it was a hundred percent the opposite of what I experienced with my doctor. She, you know, she first said, tell me your story and tell me what you've been experiencing, just like how you're asking me now. And so I told her, and then she said, okay, let me repeat this back to you, what I've heard and repeated it back to me word for word and said, and she said to me, she said, look, COVID is here. We all know it. There aren't enough tests. She said, you don't meet the criteria for the COVID test. She said, but I will tell you that you are definitively showcasing COVID symptoms. Um, she said, and based on the spectrum of everyone that she has seen, she has seen people who are as young as 18 who have been coming in with terrible symptoms. She has seen elderly people who have had mild symptoms and have recovered within days. Um, and she's seen the entire spectrum. spectrum and she said, you know, my case was relatively mild. And if my case is mild, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. Um, it's terrifying. I couldn't, you know, just having to be able to breathe, having every breath feel precious, um, wondering when something's going to take a really fast turn. Um, wondering if they're, you know, there have been things that I've had to face because of the sudden onset of this illness and because people don't know how quickly it can kill you. I've had to, I've had to do things in my life. I, I didn't think I'd have to do yet. Like I've had to put my, my will in place for my family. I had to make an instruction sheet for my, my employees that if I, you know, have to go to the hospital or if I'm out, you know, here's how to run or close down this business. Like things that I, I have just never occurred before. Um, and my case was mild. Right. It was, you know, I'm sitting here talking now because it's now going on day 13 and slowly, slowly over the last, you know, six days since I went to urgent care, she said, you're either at a point where you're going to get better or you're going to get worse fast. So you need to closely monitor yourself and be prepared to go to the hospital. Don't call me. Don't call anybody. Just go, just go to the hospital if you can't breathe. Um, and so we kind of had to brace ourselves for a few days for that possibility. And then, um, and then my fever went away 48 hours ago. My breathing today, as you can hear, is much better. Um, the chest pain is still there. It's hard to just do something simple like clear the dishes from the table or make a sandwich or do a load of laundry or attend a work meeting. Like after, after talking with you, I'm probably going to lay on the couch for, right. for, for a while Yeah, because I'll be tired. Yeah. And you're still not out of the woods either. Like that's kind of the scary part with this is that it, it typically has a relapse. Yeah. And they're saying today, you know, they're noticing that there have been dozens of cases in among South Korea patients who tested positive for COVID recovered and then contracted it again. Yeah. So there's not even a guarantee that you'll be immune from this, even if you come out of the woods, which is why it's so important for people to be quarantining. It's been strange. 
you know, to like wave to my friends from the window when they drop off <laughs> supplies for us. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. I did that. <laughs> and it was so weird because, you know, you, you and I, when we see each other, it's like we give each other long hugs. We sit and talk. We're able to just sit and laugh and hang out and stuff. And this was, it, it was so surreal to see you through this like triple paint plain, you know, paint glass and <laughs> right. not be able to hug you or say hi or, you know, just shoot, shoot the shit. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how like an expression of love these days is to stay away from someone that you mm-hmm. care about. That's very, very surreal. People have asked me, do you know where you got it? And the hardest part is I have no idea. Um, I was relatively quarantined for 10 days prior to showing symptoms. So I went back because I, I live and die by my Google calendar. So I went back and, and, and looked for any instances and was like, okay, who was I? Who was I talking to? Who have I put at risk? I don't know. And I think that's the scary part is that you start, you're not even thinking about yourself. You're thinking about everybody else who you have possibly touched or hugged or talked to a little too closely or, um, yeah. You know, I mean, my first thought was like, I was at your house a week before you started showing symptoms. Yes. You were one of the last Did people I that I traffic that in was my like immediate, like, Oh my God, kind of thing. Oh, but even if you had though, I wouldn't be upset that the thing is, is that. But people... at the same time, who else did I come in touch with that week? Right. You know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And did I give it to you? And, and, and I, you know, and so I feel there's part of me that feels bad and that there's, but then there's also the part of me that says this, you know, this virus is completely out of my control. And, and if I have inadvertently give it, given it to anyone, all I can do is just hope that one, they don't get it or two, they're asymptomatic and then they grow immune or three, I'm, I'm recovered and able to take care of others by the time they need help. And that's all I can ask for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's the procedure going forward? Has your doctor told you anything or has a doc, has, did the urgent care say anything about how you should know when to come out of quarantine? Like how long you need to be completely shut down? Like what's, what's the deal? Well, she, first off, they, so she prescribed, um, a, a run of, five days of antibiotics to help make sure that I don't have any residual bacterial lung infection. Um, because actually one of the things that can happen is you may be asymptomatic with COVID, but you might develop something like pneumonia as a result, as a direct result of it. Mm. And so that's actually something that can be scary and debilitating and also life-threatening for people. So it's definitely something to be vigilant about. Um, so I started on that and, um, which is terrible because it makes you so nauseated. And (laughs) so having, so having COVID symptoms along with, you know, antibiotic, uh, symptoms on top of also having, um, (laughs) how shall I, how shall I put this being a woman (laughs) and having (laughs) COVID-19 is, it's just a cruel and unusual punishment. (laughs) My body has been one giant ball of pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but um, and now you're so, on antibiotics, so you can't even drink to dull the pain. <laughs> only only five precious days. So um, 
So I will, uh, I will say, you know, that especially for women, if you're going through this to be very gentle, um, on yourselves, especially if you're experiencing your cycle at the same time, because, um, it's just, it's just that much harder. It's, it's just 200% harder to go through this. And, um, so just be gentle and easy and, you know, take the day, you know, take time off or just rest. It's okay to just couch it all day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's been really hard is, because this is such a long lasting illness, like I have a friend who in, uh, Michigan who has been experiencing this for three, it lasted for three weeks with her and it, it's runs so counter against our American ideals of productivity and, and, you know, being a, being an active member of society. And, and so we're having to redefine what that means to be an active member of society. Does being an active member of society uh, right now mean le- laying on your couch so that you can be productive two weeks from now? I, I, I think absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, so th- it just runs counter against everything that I've been raised to believe too. And being okay with resting for a prolonged period of time. I mean, fortunately, I'm my own boss, so I can give myself some time off <laughs> if I need to. Um, but even that is hard because it's been so ingrained in me to say, Oh, I'll, I'll take a sick day. I I can't, I can't even fathom having to take 14 or 21 sick days, you know, even though that's what your body is telling you to do. So do you have any, any end date on the, on the quarantine? Have you, have they figured that out yet? So I think, you know, the, the general rule of thumb is that once you have passed 48 hours without running a fever, you are apparently no longer contagious. However, this, this virus is something that we've never seen before. And because I have family members, I have decided to continue quarantining like from today, which marks 48 hours of being fever free, which is a great feeling. Let me tell you, I feel more clear headed now that my fever is gone but my family and I are going to continue to strictly quarantine, um, which means no errands, deliveries only. Um, we don't go out of our house except to like go on a walk around the neighborhood um, for two for at least two more weeks, um, just to uh, be on the safe side. And if nobody else develops symptoms in our house, then um, we will con- like we'll pick back up running errands and things ourselves. Yeah. Has no one else has shown symptoms in your household? My son, who's 12, um, ran a low-grade fever the other day for a couple of days and um, seemed a little tired, but he just, he powers through anything that he's fighting off super fast. So what my hope is, is that he, you know, maybe he got it and now he has antibodies. Maybe my husband has it and he's developing antibodies. Like that's the best thing that we can hope for is that we all kind of get it at the same time, but relatively mild or, you know, hopefully I get over it, but if somebody, but I'm strong enough now that I can help take care of somebody else who gets it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're not doing the ridiculous thing where I'm closing myself off in a separate bedroom in our house and not seeing people. That's impossible. I mean, our family couldn't even get through that. We'd be so lonely. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the, I feel like isolating with, with your, your shared compatriots is the only way to do it at this point. Absolutely. I live in a house with roommates and it's a point of, of realizing that like every touch point, 
And it's funny to see how like we realize and recognize those touch points and realize where we could be infecting each other. Like as this goes on, you just become more careful just little bit by little bit, more careful and more careful. And, and, but at the same time, there's, you can't completely ignore all of it, you know? I'm curious about your dating life, John. <laughs> Home Fried is a production of Dirty Spoon Media. I'm Jonathan Ammons. I'm the editor-in-chief. I produce the show, and I write and record our interstitial music. Catherine Campbell is our editor-at-large, handles our website and marketing, and keeps the engines purring. To stream back episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour, head to our webpage, dirty-spoon.com. There you can catch up on the show, check out our artwork, and support us through our Patreon. For more Home Fried, just search for the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be bringing you new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday with occasional shows on Saturdays. And be sure to check out new episodes of the Dirty Spoon Radio Hour the first Friday of every month at 5 p.m. on 103.7 WPVM Asheville. Always bringing you stories from the people who shape what we consume on the Dirty Spoon. 